I, I, I think we're going to make it. Uh, just keep your hand up for just another second. A few down here on the, on the front. Okay, good deal. Now, for all of you folks who uh, are not normally in this room on Sunday morning, we have come to one of the most incredible places in all of the Word of God. It's the place where God just peels off the, the, the space to reveal to us a 1,000-year period that is going to be unlike any 1,000-year period since Adam sinned in the garden. Listen, the last time that the Lord Jesus Christ received the preeminence and the glory that he deserved was before Adam and Eve sinned in the garden. And listen, for the last 6,000 years, his name has been blasphemed, defied, defamed on a daily basis. And this is why when Jesus came to the planet and his disciples said, Lord, would you teach us to pray? The first request of prayer was, pray for the kingdom to come. Would you do that? Because the kingdom, this thousand-year reign of the Lord Jesus Christ is when He finally gets the glory that He deserves. And we have been talking about the fact that that time is going to be marked with two characteristics. Now, there's a lot of characteristics, but we're just kind of highlighting two of those characteristics. One of the characteristics is that this entire planet is going to be inhabited with the manifest presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's literally going to be here, literally on the throne of His glory, Matthew twenty-five thirty-one says, and every knee will be bowing, and every tongue will con- be confessing. And according to Psalm 66, all of the earth shall sing, shall sing unto His name, and He will be worshipped. He will receive the preeminence. So the first characteristic is His manifest presence will literally be on this earth. And not only that, the, the Bible tells us in the book of Habakkuk chapter 2 and verse 14 that the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. And the question that comes to your mind is if this is what that time is actually going to be, why doesn't God go ahead and kick this thing in? He has the power because He is omnipotent. He has the power at any given time, and he's had it for the last 6,000 years and even beyond that, he's had the power within him to simply speak the word, snap his fingers, do anything he jolly well pleased, and he could have locked Satan up, he could have bound him and cast him into the bottomless pit, just like he's going to do at the beginning of this thousand year period, and the question you've got to ask is, if he could, then why didn't he do that? And what we have been talking about the fact is the reason that God didn't do that is He's got a different plan for receiving glory now. His plan to receive glory is not in removing Satan. His plan to receive glory right now is in rescuing sorry, scumbag sinners just like me and you. And God gets His jollies right now, if you will, by rescuing us out of Satan's domain Take, moving right in to the, the prince of the power of darkness and snatching us out of his family and placing us into his family so that we might be a part of that kingdom that he is going to establish. However, it goes beyond that. The way that he wants to be glorified in those rescued sinners is the same way that he's going to be glorified when he sets up his kingdom. Listen now. He wants His manifest presence to be on this earth right now 
in us. All of us that have been rescued out of His domain, He wants to sit on the throne of His glory right here in me and you. To where He shines like the Son of Righteousness that He is in Malachi chapter 4 and verse 2 when the day of the Lord comes and He establishes His kingdom. It says that the Son of Righteousness is going to shine forth That's what He wants to be in us. He wants to sit enthroned in our hearts as the Son of Righteousness. And in the fullness of His glory and His manifest presence, He wants that to be in all of us that He has rescued. And beyond that, just like it says in Habakkuk chapter 2 and verse 14, He wants to fill us, those of us that are these rescued sinners, He wants to fill us with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord, or in the words of Paul in Philippians 3.10, that we know Him. We know the Lord Jesus Christ, not just about Him. We know Him in the power of His resurrection. That's in the fullness of His resurrection power or His His glory. And what we have done as a church is we've tried to get honest with ourselves, first of all, which is tough. And we've tried to get honest with each other, which is even a little tougher. And we've tried to get honest with God, which is tougher yet, about the fact that we are not people that have the manifest presence of God on us in the fullness of His glory. We are not people that really know Him in the power of his resurrection like we were just just singing about. And so what we what we did this morning is we went to a place in the scripture. In fact, actually two places that are telling the same exact story and they just kind of help us to really understand what was really going on in a time in Israel's history when they were seeking to be honest with themselves and with each other and with God about the fact that the presence of God wasn't in their midst. And what we began to do is just began to look at what they did as they sought to restore God's glory to its rightful place in their history. And we tried to to learn some some lessons from them. And I'd like to ask you to turn once again to the book of 2 Samuel, where we were this morning for those of you that uh, weren't here. What we talked about is this manifest presence of God that... We so desperately need in our life and that God wants to be as a very real part of our every single day life. In the Old Testament, that manifest presence was not in believers. God did not move into believers in the same way that He moves into us when we call upon His name. At that period of time, God's residence was in a sacred box that was called the Ark of the covenant and that ark of the covenant was a powerful commodity where that box was there was power going on and what had happened in Israel's history is they had been in battle with the Philistines the Philistines had gotten the ark they had and for those of you that are new believers and you can't really understand the this powerful box you probably you probably saw raiders of the lost ark you know what it is it's that box that we're talking about in the Old Testament. And, you know, you saw the movie. You know the power that's in that, 
that box. And that's a very, very real thing that's lined out for us in, in the Old Testament. The Philistines have the box, and Saul is on the throne, King Saul. And for 20 years, the manifest presence of God, as it was revealed in the Ark of the Covenant, sat over in the Philistine camp. And according to what it says in First Chronicles chapter 13, nobody gave a rip. Nobody was too concerned about the fact that the manifest presence of God wasn't there. It's a whole lot like this Laodicea in church period that we live in. The Bible says that Jesus stands at the door and knocks because his manifest presence isn't among most churches. And nobody even hears him knocking. Nobody even recognizes that anything's missing. And so we went to 2 Samuel 6. We went to 1 Chronicles chapter 13 to try to learn some lessons from this group of people that was trying to do the same thing that we're trying to do. Restore God's glory to its rightful place. And we learned, first of all, the first lesson is that sometimes we must acknowledge that the presence of God is missing and make a journey to retrieve it. And basically, what I'm asking you to do as a part of this fellowship is I'm asking you to join me on a little spiritual journey that at this point, I can't even chart the course for you. I just know that it comes from a longing inside when you realize, I don't have what you're talking about. The manifest presence of God is not on my life, and I don't really know Him. And if you could just acknowledge that, man, you're in a great place. But... For us just to acknowledge that and walk out the door and go back to living life until we come back in here next week would be very stereotypical Laodicea. What I'm asking you to do is not only acknowledge the fact that something's missing, I'm asking you to get on a journey just like this group of people did and, and let's restore God's glory to its rightful place. And then lesson number two, we saw that God never intended for His glory to bounce along on the back of man-made mechanisms and vehicles. And I, I want you to look in Second Samuel, for those of you that are unfamiliar with the story, and just so that we can get it back in our minds, let's, let's read the passage so that we can get our bearings. Again, David gathered together all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000. And David arose and went with all the people that were with him from Baalai of Judah to bring up from thence the ark of God, whose name is called by the name of the Lord of hosts that dwelleth between the cherubims. And they set the ark of God upon a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab that was in Gibeah. And Uzzah and Ohio, the sons of Abinadab, drave the new cart. And they brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was at Gibeah, accompanying the ark of God. And Ahio went before the ark. And David and all the house of Israel played before the Lord and all manner of instruments made of fir wood, even on harps and on psalteries and on timbrels and on cornets and on cymbals. And when they came to Nacon's threshing floor, Uzzah put forth his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen shook it. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah. 
And God smote him there for his error, and there he died by the ark of God. And David was displeased, because the Lord had made a breach upon Uzzah, and he called the name of the place Perez Uzzah to this day. And David was afraid of the Lord that day and said, How shall the ark of the Lord come to me? So David would not remove the ark of the Lord unto him into the city of David, but David carried it aside into the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. And you can see here, first of all, that David recognizes something is missing. He takes this band of people, 30,000 strong. They go to retrieve the glory of God. As they go to do it, though, the second lesson we learn is that God never intended for His glory to rest upon man-made mechanisms and vehicles. You see, for those of you that weren't here today, God told the nation of Israel in Numbers chapter 4 and verse 15 exactly how the ark was to be carried. Carried. There were two rings on each side. We talked about this this morning. And two poles were to go through those rings and four men were to get on each of the four corners, and that ark was to be transported that way. One thing that they were never to do is never to touch that thing. And the way that God designed it, nobody ever had to. Just put the pole through the rings, put it up on your shoulder, and everything's wonderful. But as they're doing this 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 move to restore God's glory to its rightful place, they've got a new idea. You know... A cart would be a great invention. And if you go back to 1 Samuel chapter 6, what you find is that they learned that from the Philistines. That's how they transported it around, but they weren't the nation of Israel. They were clueless. This was a group of people that was responsible because God had very clearly told them how they were to deal with that ark. And so they've got this thing on the new cart. They've got this man-made mechanism that is a vehicle to place the manifest presence of God on that thing. And they're just cruising along down the road. The oxen stumbles when they come to the threshing floor. The ark is about to fall and Uzzah saves the day and he reaches forth to make sure that it doesn't come off. And as soon as he does, God's anger is kindled, it says. And God strikes him dead. You know why he died? Because God never intended for that ark to be transported in that way. And the practical application that we began to talk about is that it is very easy to lose God in the midst of the things of God. We talked about the fact that we have expository preaching in this church, and we believe wholeheartedly in it. We believe in discipleship in this church, and we train people in that. And yet, listen, though those are things that God has commanded us to do, God never intended to have His glory sitting upon a style of preaching. He never intended for His manifest presence to be on our manifestation of discipleship. God has always wanted His glory to rest upon men. Listen, God doesn't want to bless our discipleship ministry. He wants to bless us with His presence. And you know what? 
just because you make disciples does not mean that your life is characterized by manifesting the presence of God. But you see, in our church, if you do discipleship, it can be this little safety thing to where, men, we've got this going on and this is great, but listen, you can lose God in the midst of making disciples. I preach up here every week. And we go verse by verse through the Bible. And you know what? That's cool. But you can lose God in the midst of preaching about His book. God wants to be manifest in each one of us. Not all of the stuff that we do around here. He wants it in my life. And you know what? And then when you approach his book properly, you won't lose God in that thing. When, when God's manifest presence is on your life, you, you won't lose him in discipleship. That's what it'll be about. But, but listen, if any of these things that we're doing become a means or, or, or an end in themselves we run the risk of losing God in that. The goal around here is not to make disciples. It's to see people come to the place where the manifest presence of God is in their life and they know God in the power of His resurrection. Do you understand that? Now, that's what discipleship is really all about. That's what we're doing. But you know what? You can do a lot of stuff in discipleship and never accomplish that. And so, let's realize and learn from this group of people that God wants His glory and His manifest presence to rest on us, not our new cart. Okay? There's a third thing that I think God wants us to learn here. Lesson number three. God isn't interested in us doing what we think is best in our hearts. God is interested in us doing what He said is best in His Word. God isn't interested in us doing what we think is best in our hearts. God is interested in us doing what He said is best in His Word. Now, I mentioned this morning, you'll never, anywhere in the Bible, I promise you, you'll never find a group of people that is more sincere than this group of people was. You'll never find a group of people more well-meaning than this group of people. You'll never find a group of people whose motives were more pure than this group of people. But you need to know something, y'all, and, and I, 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 don't want to, I don't want to sound harsh in this thing, but you need to understand... Sincerity means nothing to God. Do you realize that hell tonight is comprised of some of the most sincere people who have ever graced this planet? Sincerity alone is not the key. Good-intentioned hearts is not what God is concerned about. Listen. It means nothing to him for some good Joe on this planet to have a great heart. 
What he says in Jeremiah 17, 9 is that our hearts are deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. And then he even asks the question and says, you know what, who can know it? You can't even know your own heart. So listen, let's don't be going around saying, well, I, you know what, we just, we mean well. God doesn't give a Jimmy Hoot about that. Well, you know, these, these, these people had a lot of zeal. Do you, do you understand? Zeal means nothing to God. In Romans chapter 3, uh, or chapter 10, verses 2 and 3, Paul's talking about Israel, and he says, he says this, for, for I bear them record that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. Listen, for they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. Do you think God cares anything about their zeal for Him then? That zeal is going to drive them, and again, this sounds so harsh, it sounds mean, it sounds unloving. That zeal is going to drive them right into the pit of hell. Because God established righteousness in His Son, and He said, If you spit on My Son, you reject My Son, you'll split hell wide open. They've got zeal! And here's this, this group of people, man, you talk about... Some people that just wanted to do it right. We need to get the manifest presence of God back here. And man, as they're going down the road, they're all celebrating. This is the coolest thing in the world. They've got zeal. They've got sincerity. They've got pure motives. They've got well-intentioned hearts. And God doesn't give a flip. You know, I've been saved for, for 29 years now. I've been in the ministry for over 22 of those. And you know what? There's never been one time that God has ever asked me what I thought about anything. He's never asked me, Now, Mark, what do you think about... Mark, what is your opinion? And you know what? I'm not planning on that day ever coming. What he tells us in Romans 3 is let God be true in every man. And what he goes on in that passage to say is that if you don't believe him or don't agree with him, it doesn't change anything. You know what God's trying to say? I'll do the thinning around here. Let me do the thinking. And you make your opinion my opinion and everything's going to be just fine. Now, you know what? Laodiceans don't like that. I understand that. Well, that's tough because that's the way that God is. And so now listen, as we begin this journey that we're talking about taking, be sincere. Have pure motives. Have pure hearts. Be Zealous for this thing. But now listen. Make sure that you're biblical. Because that sincerity, that zeal, the good intentions of your heart, without this book, mean absolutely nothing. And if you don't believe it, 
go dig up Uzzah and ask him about it. You know, when we're talking about this thing of the manifest presence of God, if, if, if I was, you know what, I don't think I could preach this in another church because I'm afraid of what people might do with that. Yeah, I've always known that there was a deeper life out there for Christians. And so, you know, I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to, I'm going to find a way to have the manifest presence of God on my life. You know what? You run the risk of doing some weirded out stuff if you don't know that book. He says in Hosea chapter 4 and verse 6, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Listen, as you make this pursuit of God, as we make this journey, you better stay, keep your nose in that book because, listen, it doesn't matter how sincere we are when we violate that book. When we're talking about the presence of God here. He's, he's pretty serious about this thing. And you know, the, 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 the thing that as I'm you know, looking at this and just trying to, to look at where we are and how this same kind of thing pans out for us in, in our culture, you know, if, if, if one of the, the Lord's been teaching me a lot in the last year, and it's been, it's been quite the interesting year for me. Well, one of the things that has just blown me away in the last year is the ability that we have as Christians to get our little world going on and think that we are so absolutely right. When some of the people that are so absolutely right, I look at and go, I must be an absolute idiot. Because if they're right, I'm absolutely wrong. And, and you know what? It's really taken me back because I'm going, everybody thinks they're right. Everybody pillows their head at night going, I'm right with God. And, and I'm, I'm feeling like a chump because I'm thinking, I'm doing the same thing they are. And we are poles apart. This is, this is crazy. We better just make sure, y'all, we don't follow our hearts and things and reason it out in our human intellect. Because if you follow your heart, you know what? You may wind up like Uzzah. He gave us a book, y'all. Book is real clear. And, and, and you know what? I, I will tell you, this has been good for me. It has humbled me. I'm serious. It makes me look at everything that I do that where I think I'm so right and just drives me back to that book to see, does this book tell me that this is right? It doesn't matter what I think. Remember? It's what does the book say? And you know what? If you, if you were to be, you know, Robert the Roving Reporter, you know, and you're just going to cruise around this crowd as they're making this little journey, and you're going to come up to Coach David, okay? You know how they, going to halftime, 
And, you know, the reporter will come and walk with the coach and, you know, be interviewing him while he's going to the locker room and all that kind of stuff. Listen, as they're cruising down the road and everybody's hip hopping and carrying on and having a big old time, if you're going to go up as the reporter to coach David and say, well, Dave, what do you think God's got going on right here, right now? Well, here's Dave. Well, I'll tell you what, man. This is just an incredible outpouring of the manifest presence of God going on right here. And I just got to tell you, these guys that put together this new cart, I can't say enough about them. And that Ohio boy over there and that guy, Uzza, listen, where would we be without them tonight? They have really stepped up to the plate and they've done a great job for us. And you know what? What can we say about all the rest of the 30,000 fans that are here? You know, this is, it's just a... This is a great thing, and I'm quite sure that God is is glorified. Hell, thank you, Coach. Ahia, Uzza, come here just a minute before you get into the locker room. Uh, Listen, fellas, I know that a lot is riding on your shoulders here, so to speak. But would you guys just come here and and, what what do you think about what's going on here? Oh, I'll tell you what, man. This is—it's a big responsibility. Somebody's got to do it, and. And yet, you know, I mean, what can you say about this moment? This is a, this is a great moment in Israel's history. I'm quite sure that God is, is just grinning ear to ear up there. And man, I'm just glad to be a part of it. Yeah. And so then they go into the stands and everybody is just, Oh, this is great. Wonderful. And, and you know what? They all think that. They're all dancing around and they're all thinking, Woo! Couldn't get any closer to God than I am right now. And God's up in heaven going, What in the world are you guys doing with that box on that cart? Just saying, y'all. Your heart is deceitful. My heart is deceitful. And we better not follow our hearts. Because I'm telling you, if I'd have followed my heart in the last year, I'd have saved myself a lot of grief. And you know what I'm afraid of? If I'd have followed my heart, I might have been struck stinking dead. So let's learn the lesson. God isn't interested in us doing what we think is best in our hearts. He's interested in us doing what He said is best in His Word. Lesson number four. And let me let me just kind of paint the scenario for you before I actually give you the lesson. Now, okay, I'm letting you know we're on lesson number four, so if you wanted to jot down anything as a reminder, maybe you could do that. But let, let me just kind of paint the scenario for you to set this thing up. Okay, they're they're gonna they're gonna bring back the manifest presence of God to Jerusalem, and so we got to go over to where the the, the ark is, and we got to transport th- this thing. And so I, I don't know exactly how it came down, but obviously nobody consulted God in the thing. If they would have, they wouldn't have ended up with a dead Uzza. They wouldn't have had the ark on their pretty new cart. Okay, so, you know, they're, they're all talking about, okay, now, I'm sure the leadership, you know, team met together and, and started talking about 
getting this 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 ark into its rightful place and now how how are we going to do that what and what, what what do you think there tom well what what do you think bob hey, ralph what do you think miss mcgillicuddy what do you, what do you think and so you know everybody's throwing in their little two cents uh uh, about what they think, and well, you know what, I think that that new cart thing is a great idea. Okay, let's go with it. Okay, now who are we going to get? Who are we going to get to walk on either side of the cart? Because we got to make sure that if the thing ever stumbles or bumps or anything like that, we, we got somebody that, that's there. Okay, well, you know what, I like that, as we talked about this morning, the Ohio boy. You know what Ohio means? It, it means brotherly. You know, I mean, this is just a guy that, you know what? You can count on him. He's a steady Eddie. <laughs> Brotherly. You know what? He'd be a great guy. I mean, you can just bank on it for him. And, well, who else are we going to get? One guy says, this is a no-brainer, y'all. Come on. Uzzah. You know Uzzah? Man, he is the man. He's the go-to guy. He's the big righty out the bullpen. You know? I mean, we are going... For Uzzah, you know what Uzzah's name means? You know why they went for Uzzah? His name means strength. As you look at the full definition of the word, here it is. Strength, strong, power, might, boldness. I like this one. Loud, mighty, you get the picture of Uzzah? Oh, I'd, I'd love to seen the guy. I bet he was a stud muffin, man. And and you know what? As they're talking about Uzzah, oh, you know, and not only is he strong, you know what? He's got a he's got a heart as big as that card over there. He's the guy. And so they're cruising along, and they come to Nacon's threshing floor and the cart starts tipping and so the, the strong go-to guy placed there to make sure that nothing happens to the ark so that they can get that thing where it needs to be he reaches out to do what they put him there to do and it stands as a lesson for us lesson number four that God's glory cannot be restored to its rightful place in man's, can you fill it in? Strength. Uzzah's name means strength. And you know what they had in their minds? We need Uzzah, we need his strength, we need Uzzah to make sure we get this thing where it needs to get. When reality is, you know what they actually needed? They needed the ark of God to fall. So they would be forced to pick it up the way that God told them to pick it up. But because they had the man of strength there, well, we can depend on him. He can get the job done. And... It stands as a lesson. God wipes him out so that we understand. If you're wanting to see God's glory restored to its rightful place, understand this is not going to happen. Because Pastor Mark is 
preaching some pretty good stuff that we all need to hear right now. I hope he keeps on this thing because we really do need the manifest presence of God. Oh, my. Don't make me as a y'all. <laughs> and, and I really don't think that that's what you're doing. But you know what? I just want to make sure that none of us are thinking that what we're talking about depends on any man because man can't pull it off. Our job is to get out of God's way. And as long as us is there, as long as we've got somebody that we're looking to that's going to pull this thing off, God says, hey, y'all don't need me. And you know what we have then? Same condition we're in. Don't have the presence of God. So, God's glory cannot be restored to its rightful place in man's strength. Lesson number five. And now, now listen, as we get into number five, the concern that I have, that there is a lesson that you need to learn here, but I don't want this to scare you. And I'm afraid that it might do that. Okay? Lesson number five. When you feel the closest to God's presence, be prepared for God to put a bump in the road to rock your world. When you feel the closest to God's presence, be prepared for God to put a bump in the road to rock your world. Okay? They're cruising along. And look at verse 5. And David and all the house of Israel played before the Lord on all manner of instruments made of uh, fir wood, even on harps and on psalteries and on timbrels and cornets and on, on cymbals. Listen, this group of people, I'm just telling you, if, if you're there, they have never felt the presence of God like they're feeling it right now, man. I mean, they are so close to God. And if you were to walk up and interview them, I'm just telling you, they would just, they would just be bubbling all over the place. This is the greatest thing that's ever happened in my entire life, man. This is, oh, praise God! In verse 6, And when they came to Nacon's threshing floor, you know what Nacon means? It means prepared. That's why I put on your on the lesson there. That's why I put that in, in quotation marks. Because you know what? They weren't prepared for the bump in the road. They weren't prepared for what was about to happen. And when they came to Nacon's threshing floor, now, remember the threshing floor? We learned about this when we studied the book of Ruth together. This is the place during harvest time where they would come and they would put all of the grain and they would beat it out and separate it. And it was like a big, flat area that would be kind of like, you know, we would do a slab of concrete, you know. And so here's this big thing, and they're cruising down the road, but, you know, they're going to go restore the glory of God to its rightful place. And they're cruising along on the dusty path, and all of a sudden they come onto the threshing floor, and as the oxen is, you know, getting on on that thing, and the cart does its thing, 
that, that thing starts shaking. Now, does anybody think that God didn't direct them right to that bump? That bump came because God wanted that bump in the road. And you know what I have found? Is normally that bump, when you're really seeking to give God the glory in your life, that, that bump comes at times when you think things are going better than they've ever gone before. And now listen, when this bump comes, this is a monumental thing. This little bump in the road that we're talking about here, do you understand how monumental this is? This is the ark of God on there. And that thing's toppling. And oh my, in your natural man, you look at that thing and you just, you've got to respond right now. And you know what the bump does for us, y'all? Listen, the bump reveals our confidence and our dependence in our flesh. And when the bump comes in our pursuit of God, what typically happens is people kick into what comes natural rather than what is biblical. And some major, major trash starts taking place. Now listen, if we're really serious about seeing God's glory in His manifest presence and the knowledge of Him, if we want to see that restored to its rightful place in our life, guys, again, don't be afraid of it. But be prepared for Nacon's threshing floor. Be prepared for a bump to come into your life so that God can graciously reveal to you any violation of His Word or any confidence that you're placing in yourself or in your flesh. The bump came to show them, you think you're right with God, but you're not. And sometimes the bump comes so that it can reveal to us where the flesh is still alive. That's why the bump comes. And the bump comes because God wants it to be there. And, 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 I, and I don't want to apply the point to the place that you can't make application in other areas, but, but I'll just tell you. And, and you know what? Everybody wake up for just a second. It, it is, I got to just tell you, when we're at a place where we're at right now, and, and bless your heart, I don't know what goes on in some of your worlds, but it is so demoralizing to me to be pouring my heart out and look at you going. So, you know what? Cruise, man. Just, just You know, it, it would be better for us to, to not have that going on. Shake yourself, man. Take drugs. Do something. But... <laughs> Drink coffee. 
That's not a drug. (laughs) That's because I like it. You know, I'm right with God, you know, because I like it. Not because I'm right with God. That's what I'm talking about. You know what? The, The bump in Laodicea, the bump usually comes in relationships. You know what? Somebody you trust, somebody you love with all of your heart, somebody you respect, is going to rock your world. And it is going to, it's going to take you back. And what you're going to want to do is you're going to want to respond in your flesh. When God has allowed this to happen, to bring you through the glorious path of death. And you know what I've found in these relationship things? It could be your husband, your wife. Maybe they do something that you thought they would never do. And it has been such a bump in your road that you cannot seem to get over it. It could be me. Maybe I don't meet your expectations. Maybe I do something and I'm the guy that runs his mouth up here and it just about levels you. It could be one of your best friends. It could be... All I know is I just see it happen a lot in relationships where the bump comes in the road. Somebody's really going along great and then that bump comes and then here comes the flesh. Now, that flesh has been there all along. The bump has come so that we could understand the flesh has been there all the time while we're thinking we're moving along in the Spirit and everything's wonderful and isn't God grinning now? Do you understand that? The bump is going to come and it's going to hurt. Okay? And you know what I found with the relationships? It's not a casual acquaintance normally. Because if it was, you wouldn't give two rips, right? But, oh, buddy, when it is someone of significance in your life, oh, buddy. And and you know what? I'll tell you, that's... You know, I'm just telling you, my my world has been rocked in the last year, and and don't even try to fill in in those gaps. It goes it goes further than you would ever you would ever understand. You know, and and that's cool. You've been rocked too. You've been bumped along the way. I'm just beginning to learn that the bumps come so that God can reveal to us any way that we are violating His word, and in any way that we have confidence in our flesh. And when the bump comes, you know what? And I'll just put something in 2 Samuel chapter 6. Go over to the book of 2 Corinthians, would you? 2 Corinthians chapter 4.
if you want to know what it's going to be like when the, the bump comes in, in your life, I, I think this is a passage that explains it. Verse 8. We're troubled on every side. And hopefully, yet not distressed. We're perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Okay, now, now listen, if, if you go back to verse 8. Look at this. The bump comes, and you're going to feel trouble on every side. You're going to feel perplexed. You're going to feel persecuted. You're going to be feel, you're going to feel cast down. And, and you know why you don't need to be defeated? You don't need to be knocked out in the midst of all of that? There's, there's a key here in the passage. It's an understanding why God has allowed this bump to come into your world. You know what the bump is there for? Verse 10. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made... What's the next word? Manifest in our body. You know why the bump comes? Because God wants to live in our life in the fullness of His glory and manifesting His presence and to get us to the point to where we feel like our guts are going to fall out of our insides. And we've got this trouble and this perplexing thing that if we allow it could consume our thoughts. We've got this persecution. We feel cast down. And God says, man, I've got you right where I want you. Because... What you're experiencing is the death of Christ. You're being made conformable to His death. You see, that's how you know Him. And what He says right here is that's how His presence is manifested in your life. So now listen, the bump's going to come. Don't be afraid of it. The bump is there to reveal some things to you so that you understand how you can really have the manifest presence of God on your life. Number six, when God breaks forth out of His familiar box, it will mean death to any living flesh. When He breaks forth out of His familiar box, it will mean death to any living flesh. Now, Let's just think about this story in a different way. Let's say they're cruising along. They're carrying this thing the way that God doesn't want them to carry it. Okay, They're carrying it on the new cart. And the thing, thing begins to jostle. And strength, Uzzah, reaches in and saves the day. Puts it back on and stands next to the cart. What's going to happen? Really, what's going to happen? Uzzah, you are the man. Where would we be right now without Uzzah? Do you realize this guy, you know what? We're going to give him a trophy, man. You are the stud of the year, man. You just pulled off a great thing because do you realize without you, the ark of God would have fallen to the ground. In all glory, 
we go to Uzzah. And God says, I don't share my glory with nobody. And what it teaches us is if we really want the manifest presence of God in our midst, we want God out of his box, we better realize it's going to mean death to any living flesh. Do you remember in Exodus chapter 33 when when Moses, and we've talked about this this morning and last week, Moses is saying, oh God, I'm begging you now, show me your glory. And he says, listen, I, 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 can, I can bring you into the arena, but you need to understand something. No man can live and see my face. You know what, y'all? You know why we don't have the manifest presence of God in our life? Because God graciously doesn't manifest it on us. Because if He did, with the flesh that is still alive in most of us, we would be zapped in the same way that Uzzah was. And we're, you know what, we're asking for what we know not of. And God breaks out of His box in the fullness of His manifest presence, any living flesh is going to die. Now, listen. He has allowed us the privilege of coming into His manifest presence. The veil has been rent. He invites us to come. But before you get there, He says, present your bodies a living a living sacrifice. Yield your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. You know what has to happen to this flesh if you're going to have the presence of God? You bring it into His presence so that it can die, so that you can be dead indeed unto sin. But that flesh has got to be presented. And if we didn't present it, and we said, God, give me your manifest presence. Bam! And we'd hit the, de- the ground. And God says, yeah, you can have my manifest presence, but realize you're going to need to present your flesh, your body, as a sacrifice. How many times has this group of people heard that through the years, long before I ever came into your picture? Let me get that down. I've never heard that before. Uh, This group of people ain't going to say that. So what would be any different about this time? You know what I got to thinking about? Back in the Old Testament, when the ark of God was in the Holy of Holies, beyond the veil, once a year, high priest going to go in. Spooky. Don't know any other way to tell you than spooky. 
so spooky, God says, what you do is you tie a rope on his ankle because he might croak once he gets in there if there's any living flesh in him. And so that you don't have to go in there and get zapped yourself, put a rope on his ankle so you can pull him out from under the bale. How's that for graphicness? And if you're wondering whether or not the dude is still, you know, still making it in there, put some bells on the bottom of his ephod, on the bottom of his robe, so that you can tell when the bells stop, the bell has tolled for him. (laughs) And then you can yank him out of there without getting killed yourself. Now, okay, let's suppose you're the high priest, and tomorrow you're going in. How would you present yourself a living sacrifice? Huh? What kind of seriousness would you bring to that table? You know what? You'd be confessing things you never did. (laughs) In fact, you know what? What's been handed down through history is that the, the other priest would keep the priest that was going in keep him up all night reading the Word of God to him because they said he might have a dream and be waking up thinking about some evil in his mind and drop over dead when he gets in there. So listen, let's just read the book to him the whole night and just fill his mind with the Word of God. This is a serious matter when you're talking about coming into the manifest presence of God because God says... You can't see my face, my manifest presence, and live. And so he calls all of us. Hey, you want the manifest presence? Present yourself on a daily basis as a living sacrifice. And let that flesh die. And you know what? When that flesh is dead... We'll know the manifest presence of God. But now if anybody thinks that the journey in that death process is fun, you're probably not ready for what we're talking about. That that whole fellowship of His suffering, being made conformable to His death, those are not your mountaintop Christian experiences. That's when you feel you are in the valley of the shadow of death. Troubled, perplexed, cast down, persecuted, and it hurts, and it hurts bad. So, recognize there's got to be a death. And then, lastly, number seven, Once we realize what it costs to have God's glory restored to its rightful place, we may decide we don't want it. And I'm the one that made the outline, and I hate that point. But if this story, back in Second Samuel 6, you can go back there. If this story really is teaching us anything, it teaches us that. 
Once we realize what we're really talking about here, guys, and what this thing really costs, we may come to the point where we decide we don't want it. Look in verse 8, 2 Samuel 6. And David, okay, now you can see Uzzah is there dead by the ark of God. And David was displeased. You know what? That bump comes in the road and you begin to see what it's actually going to cost and the death that's involved. And you know what? You may even be displeased with how God's working in your life. You may begin to think that this is not even fair. All I'm trying to do is just please you, God. Be ready for it. Are you guys still awake? All right. And David was displeased because the Lord had made a breach upon Uzzah. Breaches break forth. He's out the box, man, and he broke forth on Uzzah in his manifest power. And he called the name of the place Perez Uzzah to this day, Breach of Uzzah, when God broke out the box on Uzzah. That's the name of that place. And David was afraid of the Lord that day and said, How shall the ark of the Lord come to me? Hey, man, Uzzah is... He's a smooth dude, big-hearted guy, man. I mean, hey, I mean, this is going to happen to us. uh, Who's to say that this isn't going to happen to me tomorrow? 30,000 people there. Who's to say the rest of the 30,000 aren't going to go down the tubes with us? So David would not remove the ark of the Lord unto him into the city of David, but David carried it aside into the house of Obed-Edom, Get tight. I mean, that part of the story, I don't quite understand. Now, I'll just tell you what. I don't think I even want that thing in Jerusalem. I mean, we already saw the problem we had just trying to get it to its rightful place. Let's take it to Obed-Edom. <laughs> Why am man? I mean, if you don't want it for Jerusalem, if it's not good enough for you, I mean, what do you want to see? Maybe this has been a bump in David's road and he wants the sucker dead or something. I don't know. Maybe he'll reach forth his hand. But for whatever reason, David says, I didn't think I want it. thought I did. You know what? I think I want it. But you know what? If God in His manifest presence was on my life, and let's say His manifest presence was revealed in this church so that God felt comfortable here, then it may well mean, if He's comfortable here, that we ain't. Well, you know, I I liked it the way it was myself. And so people start leaving. And as people start leaving, then the offerings start going down. And Pastor Mark says, I don't know for sure if I want the manifest presence of God here or not. I thought it was pretty cool to have a full building. Maybe that's the way that we need to deal with our space problem on Sunday morning. Get our services where God's comfortable here. You may begin to see what it really means and what starts being flushed in your life and what starts dying in your world when the manifest presence of God comes and you may just get to the point to where you say, 
Maybe Laodicea isn't so bad. And you know what? David sent the ark away for three months. What in the world was going on in that three months, y'all? I mean, we went from... Oh, man, it's jubilant to... Mm, yeah, let's don't take it any further. Why don't you take it over to Obed-Edom for a little while and, and for three months? And, and you know what brought him out of it? I, I, I wish I could say, well, it was the conviction of the Spirit of God. You know what the rest of the chapter goes on to say? Because the manifest presence of God is in the house of Obed-Edom... The house of Obed-Edom is blessed beyond measure and everything that's going on in his world, man, is just blessing after blessing after blessing. And David says, you know what, I think maybe we better get that ark. I mean, if that's what it would do for one house, what would it do for a nation? And so they bring the ark back. And so... There you have it. Lessons from a sacred box, a holy bump, and a royal thumb. And you know what? I really do think that there are some lessons that have some unbelievable application for all of us that are wanting to see God's glory restored to its rightful place. And I don't know what this is going to mean next Sunday. You know what? And all I want to do is just, while God has us here, I want to see God do what He wants to do in us. And remember, this is not dependent upon man. It's not dependent upon me. not dependent upon you. It's all dependent upon God. And you know where we started together 13 years ago? We said, you know what? Let's let God do what God wants to do in this church. And let's just get out of His way so that He can do it here. And I feel like that's where we are right now. God's taught us a lot of stuff. A lot of stuff in place wasn't in place 13 years ago. That's good and that's bad. Because we might want to depend on those things rather than God. And God's brought us to a point where He's just saying, Hey guys, really like to be a part of your party. But realize to do it, there's going to be some death. Lord, would you please teach us I just want to see you do what only you can do. And so, Lord, give us the direction that we need. We don't even know where, what to do. We don't know where to turn. All we know is you are God. You've given us your book, and we don't want to follow our hearts. We want to follow exactly what you said. 
And so, Lord, would You, by the lamp of Your Word, direct our steps. And may we see the manifest presence in the fullness of Your glory revealed in our life. May we know You in the power of Your resurrection because we've known the fellowship of Your suffering and have been made conformable to Your death. And right now, let me just ask you with our heads bowed, if you were that high priest going into that Holy of Holies tomorrow, what part of your flesh would you be confessing beginning right now? Because whatever that is, is what you need to be confessing. Because you've been a rescued sinner, invited to come into the Holy of Holies. And I want to give you the chance right now to offer your life as a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto Him. Not like this is some big deal. It's just our reasonable service because we're rescued sinners.